G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This pursuit, the things that you're after, it might be feeding you, you might be making money, there's monetary gain, but the cost is great and you're losing your soul. Do you think Jesus was kidding when he said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This crowd you're involved with, this thing that you've got, you don't have it, it's got you and you know you're not strong enough, the allure is too great, you're too weak and there's only one possible solution, you gotta get out of Moab and you gotta get out now. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Ruth, Philippians, Malachi, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Jonah. These are the only books in the Bible that have only four chapters. Hello, this is Today with Jeff Vines, and the series we're in is called For God So Loved with a little play on words, because it's for F-O-U-R. Pastor Jeff says we can find great words of encouragement and some challenges in the four chapters of each of these books. If you'd like to, you can head back to listen to the start of this great series. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. And the series is called For God So Loved. For now, let's join Pastor Jeff as he finishes this message looking at the book of Ruth. Man, the point of Ruth 4. But the story continues because you know the name of the book is not the book of Boaz, is it? It's called the book of Ruth. Now stay in the story. Why did Ruth come with Naomi? I can't believe I didn't see this. Why did she come with Naomi? Because Naomi tries to get Ruth to stay. Naomi knows there's no life for you where I'm going. Your treasures and your future is back in Moab. You can gain an inheritance there. You're a good looking woman. You can still get a husband. That's what Naomi's thinking. You're young. Where I'm going, you're not going to have anything. But Ruth replied, verse 16 in chapter one, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now you think about what's going on. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever gets to planet earth in human form. Ruth knows that if she goes with Naomi, there's a chance that Naomi will not die. But if Ruth does not leave the comfort of her own home and land, Naomi will most certainly perish. If Naomi's going to have a life, Ruth has to give hers up. If Naomi's going to have a name, a land, progeny, Ruth will have to give hers up. Ruth will have to give up her own name, her wealth, her family, if Naomi's ever to have a chance to really live. And that's exactly what Ruth does. Ruth impoverishes herself, Naomi becomes rich. Ruth loses herself, Naomi finds herself. Ruth suffers outside the gate, Naomi is welcomed back in. Ruth becomes an alien and a stranger, Naomi finds her ultimate home. Naomi has been redeemed. Can you see any kind of pattern yet? 
The gospel is all over the book of Ruth, all over it. Boaz is the bridegroom. He marries Ruth and all the wealth becomes hers. He pays her debt and offers new life. Ruth is the suffering servant. She goes outside the gate. She leaves her home. She becomes an alien, marginalized, so that Naomi can be found and restored. However, neither are the ultimate redeemer. This is where Ruth chapter 4, I mean verse 13, listen to what happens. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, did you know that your daughter-in-law is better than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now look closely at what the writer in Ruth 4 is saying to us. May his name become famous throughout Israel. Oh, it did. May he renew and sustain you in old age. He did. Ruth is better to you than seven sons. Now, the number seven is the number for perfect. So basically, what they're saying is what's happened and what will happen in the future through this son of yours will be more satisfying, more fulfilling, more transforming than even the perfect family. Something that is more precious than family and wealth and power and security. Something more valuable than perfect relationships, a perfect bank account, a perfect career, perfect social groups. Even if you have thousands of followers on social media, there is something that will give you much more than all of these external things. And the whole point of Ruth 4 is there's going to be a redeemer who's going to be born, guess where? In Bethlehem. A redeemer is coming. And the amazing similarity between this redeemer and the ancient family of Ruth and Boaz is uncanny. Think about it. Like Ruth, this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem left his father's home and the throne above to go to a foreign land expecting things to be worse. Like Boaz, he not only pays your debt, but reaches out and unites with you so that all his wealth becomes yours. Like Boaz, he is your flesh and blood, your kinsman redeemer, the elder brother, the firstborn among many brethren. Like Ruth, he loves and pursues you to such a degree that he refuses to allow even death itself to separate you from him. Who is he? What's his name? Jesus. Born in the city of David, the grandson of Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz, the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. He has covered you with his garment. Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. There is one who is your Goel, your kinsman redeemer. He bought and paid your debts. He made you an heir of all of his riches, and he gave you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, take a deep breath. That's the big picture. What's being communicated here? Last week we said in Jonah 4, you don't know better than God how your life should be going. 
And in the book of Ruth, the message is, in heaven's name, get out of Moab. <laughs> what are you doing down here? That is the message. The, the, the wording's too clever. Think about it for a moment. Every immigrant leaves home expecting a better life, right? I mean, why else would you leave? You're looking for hope. You believe that there will be better than how you have it here. And your passion for a better life is so great that you're willing to risk your life to get it. You don't leave one land as an immigrant to go to another one in hopes that it'll be worse, right? Who does that? No one except Ruth. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I'm coming with you and I expect the worst life. Yeah. Why does she do it? She loves Naomi. She's seen something in Naomi's God. Scholars tell us that this is uncanny in Ruth chapter one. When the Bible says, may the Lord deal with me. These are the words of Ruth now. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. The word she uses for Lord is not Elohim, the generic name. It's the word, the covenant, the relational name, Yahweh. Ruth saw something in Naomi's God that was so different of the darkness in Moab that she's willing to leave Moab, even though physically, even though materially, she may be better off. She knows if she stays, she'll spiritually die. She's willing to give up the chance at life physically in order that she may meet the God of Naomi. And somewhere along the line, she was so influenced by her mother-in-law that she fell in love with Yahweh, the relational, the relational name for God, the covenant name. There's something about your God, Naomi, that inspires me. And the Bible says in the original text that when she was having that conversation with Naomi, her mother-in-law, that she clung to her. She was clinging to her. She wouldn't let go. Please let me come with you. Listen now, in Ruth's mind, she has one of two choices. I can stay in Moab, have my physical needs met, gain material wealth and stability, but probably lose my soul. She's not living in denial. She knows that her people and her culture have a dramatic negative impact on her. And because she's seen the good in Naomi, she recognizes the evil in Moab. Ruth is honest. She says, the influence is too strong in Moab. My resistance is too weak. If I stay here, I may physically survive, but I will spiritually die. So I'm going to leave Moab and lose material wealth, but ultimately I'm going to gain my soul. Now let me stop right there. Do you know how many of us live here when you don't have to? I... This year for study break, we decided to go to Armenia and Georgia. And I was sharing with Malene Hancock, who, who comes to this service. She's Armenian, so I thought everybody was going to be like her. And they weren't. They were actually not. No, I'm just kidding. They, they're good people. <laughs> we were talking a little bit before the service, and I, I, she asked me, how did it go? And I, it, it kind of caught me off guard a little. Beautiful land and beautiful people. A very simple life. It's, it's, we forget what we have here. People live very simply. And when I say simply, I mean, it's almost as if they're not looking for extravagance. It's almost like in some ways they figured it out. 
I don't need all of these material things. And so the men sit out in the afternoons and they play this game. I don't know what game it is, but they talk and they have a little coffee. That's not $5 at Coffee Clatch. It's probably made in a pot that's been there for a couple of days, but most people walk wherever they're going to go. They don't have to own cars and pay huge insurance bills. And it's a simple life. And it's about family and a about getting together in the neighborhood in the evenings and the children play in the street. You know, there's no PlayStation or Nintendo. It's the kids are actually outside kicking a makeshift ball down the street. It's like the old days of stickball in the Bronx, you know. And the longer we stayed there, I had to keep asking myself this question. Is our affluence, and I, I don't want to go down this road because I've been down too often. I know some of you are tired of it, but is it possible that the demon is in so deep in affluent cultures? We, we can't see it anymore. We're, we're just so distracted by how busy our life is in LA. And it's not that we don't love Jesus or don't love God. It's just we don't have time, much time for him because we're, we're chasing after so many other things and we got to pay the rent. We got to pay the insurance. We got to get another car. I mean, it's overwhelming what Dawson Troutman, the founder of The Navigators, called the tyranny of the urgent. There's too many options for us in America. Too many options. I mean, even going, you know, the one thing I liked about going to the grocery store in Armenia is it's so small. Not that many choices. You, you just go grab a loaf of bread and some potato chips and a couple of chocolate bars, whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? Georgia was the same way. And I'm not trying to paint them in a picture of where they figured out everything, because they haven't. They're still spiritual poverty to a great degree. But I just wonder if somehow too many of us are living here and even though we have what we want, we're dying spiritually. And if we were asked to give up some of the luxuries that we have, we just can't do it. We're, we're too used to living here, even though we know it's killing us, even though we know that spiritually we're almost to the point of debilitation to where we can't function anymore. It's not that we don't want to, but there's something in our culture that speeds us up to such a degree that even taking a few minutes to pray. I mean, the thing I enjoyed about the Armenians and especially the Armenians was that there was still time put out in every day to where it was a time to be with God. Now, again, I'm not painting them as the perfect picture. I'm simply trying to say there's something that's, there's something that's messed up in our culture. Do you understand what I'm saying? Bread is so cheap. You can live so cheaply. You don't have to make a ton of money. But if you want the finer things, you have to work harder and harder. But why do you need the finer things? Isn't bread enough? Bread and some meat and maybe a coffee from time to time. Why do, you, why do, we, why do we fall for the lie of the marketers that we need absolutely everything they're selling? And then we put ourselves in a situation where we're stuck. Moab is killing us. Some of you are part of a club that you need to get out of. Yeah, it makes you look good. And yeah, you're running with the right crowd, but it's killing you spiritually. Some of you are in relationships. Why are you in this relationship? You know that it's sucking the life out of you, but you won't get out of it. And some of you young people, let me tell you something. Your parents don't tell you what they tell you just to be mean. 
They've lived life long enough to know this is not the right guy for you. This is not the right girl for you. But they, they got to be careful because they don't want to scare you away. But at the same time, they see what's coming. You're in Moab. Some of you are in a job you should have left a long time ago. You're terrified, though, that you won't have enough to pursue things that aren't that important. You could live a lot more simply. And quite frankly, and you got to be careful how you take this. Some of you need to get out of California. Now, whoa. Now, for me, I'm here because I feel I'm called here. I'm on the front lines. I'm not going anywhere. But some of you, quite frankly, it's like Moab. It's killing you. This, this pursuit, the things that you're after, it might be feeding you. You might be making money. There's monetary gain. You might be gaining influence, but the cost is great and you're losing your soul. Do you think Jesus was kidding when he said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This crowd you're involved with, this thing that you've got, you don't have it. It's got you. And you know you're not strong enough. The allure is too great. You're too weak. And there's only one possible solution. You've got to get out of Moab and you've got to get out now. Some of you young men and women are in relationships that you know you shouldn't be in, but you're afraid that if you let go of this one, God won't provide another one. You're afraid of being alone. You're too blind to see this whole thing is a test of your real allegiance. God is trying to show you the weakness in your relationship with him so that he can take you to the next level. Faith and status are two things Christians have had to choose between since Christ gave up his status in heaven to come to earth to save us. And no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When are you finally going to come home? Ruth is the first immigrant that does not expect a better life. And yet, she gets it. Oh, do you, do you see what the message is? See, you're terrified that it's going to be worse off if you go and do what God asks you to do. Oh, man. Do you see that? But in reality, it ends up being immeasurably more than you could ever hope for, ask for, or imagine. And especially to the young people who are here, this message, oh man, I'm not judging you at all. I feel for you, man. I, feel, I don't know if I could be as strong in this culture that you're growing up in as I was able to be when I was growing up in a different world. Man, you are enamored that sex, money, and power is what life is all about. You're, you're, it's got you. You think you have to have all these followers. You think you have to be light. You've got to dress a certain way. You, and it's all killing you. It's Moab, man. It's sucking and draining the life right out of you. Not too long ago, I had coffee with a mother and 11-year-old daughter, and I sat there and listened to this 11-year-old daughter talk to me about how much she hates her body. At 11 years old already? You don't even know what you're going to be like in three more years. 11? But that's culture. We're in Moab. God says, God says if you'll get out of Moab and you'll, you'll come home, your life will not be like it was in Moab. It'll be so much better. But you've got to have the courage. You've got to have the courage to leave it behind, to get out of the job, even make less money to stop pursuing all the things you're after, 
So stop teaching your kids the most important thing is how famous they are, how successful they are, and all those things because you're driving them into anxiety and depression and epidemic proportions. If you trust him by getting out of Moab, you'll discover the life you never thought you could have. And only when you see Jesus for who he truly is will you leave that life behind, expecting things to be worse. Because especially our young people think, oh, become a Christ follower, dedicated, that's restrictions. Oh man, I don't want that. What you don't understand is that if you leave Moab, you will experience a far better life than you ever could hope for or imagine. You know, I've really struggled over if I should do this next section. I, I may get in trouble. I may get in trouble by you, Mike. <laughs> in New Zealand, in New, now, I don't know how this is going to be taken. This is one of those things that will get a thousand hits, I'm sure. I read this, and in New Zealand, we have this statement, sweet as, okay? Sweet as. Right, A-Z, not the other. And I read this and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. Somebody says, stop dating Boaz's relatives and wait for Boaz. And while you're waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, locked up as, lazy as, and especially his third cousin, beaten your as. You got it? Do you know that the one, listen, here's what you learn. Young girls, the one that you're waiting on comes after the one you're supposed to break it off with. Did you know that? The one, it's all a test. The one that you're waiting on comes after the one that you're supposed to end it with. It's just the way it works. And if you don't, you're going to be stuck with one of Boaz's relatives all your life. The entire Bible is written to reveal who God truly is. He's your kinsman redeemer. He's rescued you out of the land of Moab. He's covered you with his love and compassion and protection. He left his home and stepped into a land far worse so that you could come into a land far greater than you could ever hope or dream or imagine. And by knowing that simple fact, it should give you the courage to leave your old life behind. And I am begging you, I'm begging you to get out of Moab. And while I've been preaching over these last few minutes, the Holy Spirit brought your Moab to your mind. You don't need a preacher to do that. That's the Spirit's job. The question is, and I pray, have the courage to get out before you lose your soul. Father, I thank you and praise you for the fact that the light often comes on in the most simplest of messages. I pray that every individual in the room would have the honesty to admit in what area of their life they're still living in Moab and how they're afraid to leave it because it's all they know. I pray the Holy Spirit of the living God will give them the courage, will energize them to make the decision that will change everything. I pray for our young people. I pray for the, the temptations that they're faced with, the, the lies that they're fed all the time. 
that tends to suck them dry. Their spirituality begins to dissipate. And the reason we can't feel God is we live in that land of darkness. Give us all the courage to flee, to leave, so that we may experience you, so that revival may come into our lives, that we might be spiritually revitalized and follow you for the days of our lives. You could lead us beside still waters. You could restore our soul, cause us to lie down in green pastures. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Your rod, your staff, they will comfort us. And goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. In Christ's name. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.